Thursday, August 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Matt Kopenheffer, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Dave Meyer. Happy Thursday, gents. Happy Thursday happy to you. Thursday, Chris. It's a happy Thursday in here. It, you know where it's not a happy Thursday? On in Wall the, Street. <laughs> anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> the public markets, uh, it's, it's not a great day. The Dow Index is all red at the moment, and we're going to talk about the two biggest drags on the Dow, Walmart and Cisco Systems. Uh, we're also going to talk Berkshire Hathaway's latest news, but let's start with Walmart. Uh, second quarter profit rose 1.3%. Sales were slower than expected. They cut guidance for the full year. Um, just not great results. No. It reminds me of a great story by pro golfer Seve Ballesteros. Um, he walks off and reporter asks him, Seve, how did you four putt on the 18th hole? Well, I miss, I miss, I miss, I make. <laughs> well, they three misses right there by, by Walmart. Yeah. Um, Matt. What do you think when you look at this quarter? Because it it seems like, you know, if you back out the performance of the stock two, you know, three, five years, that kind of thing, Walmart's done pretty well. But in a year where, you know, let's let's ignore today's market for the moment. But 2013's been a great year. The last 12 months have been fantastic for the market. And Walmart not only is trailing the market, but is trailing pretty significantly. And it seems like um, they just have more and more problems that they're dealing with. It's true. What you say is true. But actually if you look at if you look at large cap stocks as a group, this is this has been this has been a thorn in my side for literally years now that large cap stocks cannot catch a break. It's been it's been a bull market, a big bull market for, for smaller cap stocks. And I'm not gonna say that that's, that's everything that has to do with Walmart. Obviously, there are other things going on here, but uh, but large caps have trailed small caps this year to a very significant extent. If you look back over the past ten years, to a very significant extent, and this isn't something that is typical. This isn't just something that happens. Small caps always beat large caps. This will turn around at some point. If I'm going to go the optimistic route on Walmart, I would say there is an expectation versus delivery thing here, uh, but they. Four billion dollar profit during the quarter. Right. So if you if you annualize that, and you and you look at what the what the company is valued at, you've got a six and a half percent yield on the company's current value based on this quarter's profit. That ain't bad, particularly in an environment where you can't get anything on fixed income securities. So they're stumbling over themselves. They're tripping around. They they don't look great when you're stacking them up to what Wall Street thinks they should be doing. But when you when you look at it objectively, I don't think it's as bad as uh, as, as maybe people are making it out to be. Yeah, I, I mean, the question that that I would ask um, is what what is there really to be excited about? I think that's why the you know if we take it from a multiple standpoint, you know the, that's it, we're not going to see multiples expand because when you look at what's happening, um, you know in terms of the very low growth rate, the issues that they are facing, the fact that. This, it's very difficult for Walmart to keep doing what they're doing as well as to keep growing. But is that essentially the main thesis here, that if you're looking at your portfolio and saying, I'm going to dedicate X percent of my portfolio towards steady dividend payers that are not going anywhere – in the next, you know, there, there's no chance Walmart's going out of business. No one is saying and you that. You should have Walmart in that part of your portfolio. Absolutely. Right. This isn't this isn't an excitement thesis. This no. is, <laughs> the, 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 there's, like David said, there's there's nothing to be really excited about here. But 
generally, most of my portfolio, at least, and I'm I'm not a terribly exciting guy when it comes to my investing. A lot of my portfolio is is very boring, and I just I like to see profits rolling in quarter after quarter, and that builds on itself. And over ten years, over twenty years, that can get pretty exciting. Not only that, but at some point, the market could get excited about it again. The negativity now can is leading up to positivity later. Um, if there is a silver lining to Walmart's day, it is that Walmart is not Cisco Systems. Um, <laughs> uh, and as of yesterday, Cisco Systems stock up thirty percent year to date. But that was as of yesterday. Yeah, this yesterday. morning, down about seven and a half percent. Fourth quarter profits were right in line with expectations. They had record revenue, record operating income, and yet. Once again, David, we see that guidance trumps results because John Chambers came out, lowered guidance for the first quarter of the next fisc- uh, next fiscal year, yeah. and uh, and that's what has, I think, people running for the exits. Yeah, when you use the words mixed and inconsistent to describe the economic recovery, you know, you've probably turned yeah. off, uh, <laughs> turn- you've probably raised plenty of red flags at that point. But, uh, uh, you know, in my opinion, Cisco is just in a tough spot. Um, you know they are obviously the the big network equipment provider. The problem is, is that's getting commoditized in in, in over over time. Um, yeah, they want to be everywhere. You know, they want to be in the center of the cloud. They want to be part of the mobility trend. They want to be part of security. But so do a lot of other companies, and other companies, particularly smaller ones, are finding different ways to um, attack the problem. So it's difficult for them to um, to come up with exciting differentiating networking products even though Chambers says look you know we're we're innovating we're you know we're on track to be the number one IT infrastructure player but you know not right now <laughs> but is that really the the move that they should be making towards innovation i just think of as a longtime shareholder of cisco systems i i can't get over the fact or i i should say i can't ignore the fact that you look over the last decade, they, it is just littered with bad acquisitions. And so I, I look at their- So you're saying they should make another acquisition. Yeah, it's, it's time. It's been at least a couple of months. Um, no, transformative. But, but transformative uh, acquisition. It's Thursday, right? Exactly. Um, but I, do, I look at their uh, financial strength, the cash on the balance sheet, and I think, gosh, if they can just pour that into operations- and efficiencies, I feel like that's maybe the untapped opportunity for them. It is not unlike, frankly, Johnson & Johnson, which for years, every quarterly result seemed to be accompanied by a recall of some sort. And <laughs> you know, we said in this room, gosh, if Johnson & Johnson could ever deliver quarterly results without having a recall, they're going to do great. And I feel like Cisco Systems is sort of along the same lines there. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think one of the – what you describe is somewhat of the innovator's dilemma. Um, the fact that they have to remain, we'll, we'll, lack of a better word, call it insular, right? If they, looking at your own products and looking at your own business without uh, figuring out, trying to figure out what's the next thing or what's going on in your market, that's, you know, that's, that's a difficult task as well because, again, there are other people who are trying to find new ways of attacking the problem. So I – I'll go. I'll just go back to. I really think they're in a tough spot. You, you and I, Chris, were talking about this before the show. That 
you, we were talking specifically about technology hardware, how difficult of a business that is over time. I would, I would Particularly extend, as they get bigger. Oh, yeah. As the <laughs> companies get bigger. And, and the, the area of technology matures. And in a previous lifetime, I actually worked in this industry. And at that point in time, there was less familiarity. There was less expertise within companies to be able to set up networks and work with this equipment. And Cisco was absolutely the gold standard. You had to have Cisco because you knew that it worked. You knew that it was going to get the job done. It was easy to work with. It was oh, yeah. easy to interoperate. And, and David nailed it that the competition now is brutal. Not only do you have more folks going after that market share, but within companies – uh, the companies buying this equipment, you have more expertise and more knowledge, so they're not strapped to Cisco. We have to use Cisco. They can choose to go outside of Cisco where they see a better solution or where they see a better price. When you look at the stock, again, it's, Cisco's had a great run this year so far, up until, up until 9.30 this morning. Um, is, is this a stock that also fits the spot in the portfolio that we were talking about earlier with Walmart? If you're If you're looking for Something that's going to pay a dividend is is Walmart more attractive than Cisco Systems? Because going back to our previous conversation, Matt, I feel like it just gets tougher and tougher for these big companies uh, in the hardware space. The bigger they get, the more they move to being sort of the dividend players. I feel like the return is not as great as you would get for other big dividend payers like a Johnson and Johnson or a McDonald's, for that matter. I. I would rather have Walmart than Cisco. And, and I, I'll point out that I do own Walmart, and that'll color my <laughs> comments from earlier in the show. I'd rather own Walmart than, than Cisco. It's, it's, just, it's a business that, that 10 years from now, will people still want to buy everyday goods at Stuff. really cheap prices? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, the, the, the technology, the, the infrastructure, the, um, the entire space that Cisco plays in is so dynamic and constantly changing, it's really hard to think about what this business is going to look like in two or three years, let alone 10. Who's really going to disrupt Walmart? You know, Walmart has done a phenomenal job of building an incredible infrastructure to well, I think, do what I think they do. plenty of people would argue that Amazon is disrupting. Okay, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, again, uh, Cisco has, you know, hundreds of, of, uh, of arrows coming at it. You can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our handle. Got a tweet from Mike Sarah who writes, Sounds like the Motley Fool offices are depleted this week. If you need a sub, I'm glad to take my talents to Alexandria. Is that why I'm here today, Chris? <laughs> um, you know, we were talking with uh, Charlie Travers and Tim Hansen earlier in the week. There, there, we, we might have uh, some humor might have been made about um, why those guys were brought in. But uh, but in but in in uh, in truth, the offices are a little bit depleted this week just because. Um, uh, a lot of the people are on our Motley Fool One service. Uh, that whole team, they are out in Minneapolis. They are meeting with members. Uh, and I've uh, heard a report. I talked with uh, our Matt Greer, who produces our radio show. Um, some of our dozens of listeners are out there in Minneapolis. So I wanted to thank them for listening and give a special shout-out to Richard and Joni Morgan, who are from North Carolina, but they're in Minneapolis for the wow. uh, for the Fool of One event. That's so awesome. that's great. Um, uh, also... Got to give a shout out to one of our dozens of listeners who's here with us, uh, Aaron Wellick, all the way from Irvine, California. Woo-hoo! He is here for a conference. Yeah, let's give a round of applause to Aaron, um, who uh, tacked on a trip to Full HQ uh, after hitting a conference in D.C. 
and he brought a little tribute in the form he did of not, he did not come empty he did not come empty handed he brought uh, several bags of C's candies uh, which Matt right before we started it's, it's, been, it's been really hard for me to not eat right into the microphone yeah. here I'm, I'm looking at this candy right next to me and you've it's... you've sampled some and what a Dumb time to go on a stupid diet. <laughs> I was going to say, Dave. Yeah, you're you're on some kind of this diet now, bad. where it's like you're you're off sugar or something. Off sugar. I know. I think I'm just going to take one of these I, bags and I, just stand I, by your desk <laughs> and eat the whole thing. You know, I'm just going to talk my book as a Berkshire shareholder for a moment. That we're always talking about C's candy and and how good the the economics of that business are for Berkshire, but the candy itself. So good. Yes. It is. It's really good. Well, isn't that what Buffett's all about? Like, we, we want to be good to shareholders. We want to be good to customers. We want to be good to our partners. They're, you're saying, well, as a shareholder and a customer, you're very satisfied. With very satisfied. And, and Buffett and Munger sit there at the, the annual meeting and, and eat this stuff for the entire time. So I guess it, it better be good if, you're, if your chairman is going to be sitting there eating it for four or five hours. It's, it's pretty incredible, the influence that... Um um, Charlie Munger has had on Warren Buffett through C's Candy. If we really think about it, that is absolutely incredible. So you don't see Buffett and Munger going on that stupid diet of yours. <laughs> um, uh, but in, in all seriousness, with uh, with Berkshire Hathaway, which is the parent company of C's Candies, uh, Berkshire's latest 13F filing is out, which d- discloses the holdings. Uh, and Matt, what's getting the headline today uh, is the fact that Berkshire has taken stakes in, and these are new stakes, in Dish Network and Suncor Energy. As a Berkshire guy, what does that tell you? And, and is, what, A, what does that tell you? And B, are you happy about that? To me, it underscores the the continual blossoming of the uh, Buffett proteges, uh, Todd Combs and Ted Wexler. These are these are not Buffett positions. These are these are positions that I am hundred percent sure are coming from these other managers. And and I like to see it. I, I like to see continued autonomy. These aren't when I when I look at these. These aren't classic Buffett type investments, but. What Buffett was looking at in bringing in Combs and Wexler was bringing in great investors, not bringing in Buffett clones. And so I'm in, I'm encouraged by the fact that they're out there buying the things that they think are the right the right stocks to buy, and uh, and Buffett's given them the lever- leverage to do that. Yeah, it, it I um, I agree with what Matt was saying. Uh, these don't look like Buffett companies. Um, but it is really cool if you're a if you're a Berkshire shareholder to know that he's given them free reign to do what they think is right with the shareholders' capital. Um, beyond the headline, you look a little deeper and you see that the stake that Berkshire has in General Motors was increased by sixty percent. That's a pretty pretty significant uh, uptick. I know that uh, somewhere. Uh, uh, he might be asleep right now, but when he wakes up, uh, uh, Uncle Joe Mager uh, in Australia, when he sees this, he's just going to be thrilled uh, as, a, as a GM bull. But um, is, is that at all surprising or is that just a, a small enough bet that it's like, hey, look, it's in the grand scheme of the money being managed here, this is not – we shouldn't read too much into this. I – I'll look at it from a from a, a broader economic perspective. When when we look at the the progress that the the U.S. economy has made in this sluggish recovery, 
one of the bright spots has been the auto market that continues to or has has started to boom and has continued to boom. So maybe it's not that surprising from from that perspective. I think that rising tide will tend to lift all ships, even GM, which I have not been. I I, I think I think Joe may have may have nailed it on that one, but I I was not on on the GM bandwagon. Buffett still has his elephant gun. He's it's still loaded. He's still looking for something. Uh, if you have a prediction on on where you think uh, he'll go with it, or even just a hey, this this you know, Jason Moser said before McCormick, the spice company, is is the classic. I mean, you guys say Suncor, Dish Network. That's those aren't classic Buffett buys. Jason makes the case that he thinks McCormick Spice is a classic Buffett buy, thinks it's a, a takeout candidate. Um, one, do you think that we see another big acquisition before the end of 2013? And two, regardless of when it comes, what, what else do you think sort of fits that mold of sort of the classic Buffett investment, even if it's not a complete takeout? We've seen him make significant investments without completely buying a company. Any thoughts, Matt? Well, b- before I do, there there are two other things I want you to point out. You want to eat some more candy? I, I do. I do want to eat some more candy. <laughs> so, so you let's want just, me to let's, answer let's, first? Let's let's wrap, wrap this up. No, there are two other things I want to point out on the filing in particular. Sure. The first, I, I will beat my financials drum just one more time sure. because I have to. Wells Fargo stake increased. U.S. Bancorp stake increased. One of the things I love, everybody still hates banks. Everybody still hates financials. Everybody loves Warren Buffett. There's a disconnect there. Warren Buffett's buying banks. Everybody hates them. I'll leave it there. The other, and I think this may be the most interesting thing from the filing, there's a line in the filing that confidential information was left off the filing but filed with the SEC separately. So Berkshire, Buffett may be building a large stake in somebody that's not on the, a name that's not currently on that list. And we'll find out when we find out. I guess it reminds me a lot of the, the big IBM stake that he surprised everybody with not all that long ago. Interesting. All right. A little bit of palace intrigue. I like it. So I'm actually going to go uh, with one that he added to, or sorry, that Berkshire added to, and that's uh, National Oil Well Varco. I think this is a company that could fit well within his energy portfolio. I think given his investments in Mid-American as well as um, various pipelines, this is a place that he understands. Mm-hmm. And um, National Oil Varco is a very well-run company that I think has a pretty deep moat. And this would be something, in my opinion, he could be interested in. All right. David Meyer, Matt Copenheffer, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks again to uh, our guest, Aaron Wellick, for the uh, well, for listening, but also for the bounty, for the seized candy. So Yay! I'll do the, uh, the outro, and then, Matt, you can gorge yourself. Uh, uh, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the candy on the table in front of them. The, um, the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Angdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Yeah.